You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on this podcast. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. And today's guest speaker, we have Ryan Lee, co-founder and general partner at Deep Ventures. He created Deep Ventures while still going to college, and he's actually in college right now. So today we'll talk about creating a syndicate very early on, being very young, and how that works, and how is it going, and also what Deep Ventures invests in. So Ryan, let's kick it off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Deep Ventures. Awesome, Constantine. Well, thanks for having me. Um, I'll first speak a little bit about myself. So like you said, I'm currently a college student still. Um, I study computer science and philosophy at Stanford. And in my background, um, I've done a lot of scientific research. So um, I've done some computational and clinical neuroscience work um, for a few years. And then recently I did some deep learning research with the School of Medicine at Stanford. So I've always been pretty involved with like the scientific world. Um, Both my parents are also in science as well. So it's always been something that was really interesting to me. I always thought that I would enter it. Um, But as I began to do more and more like scientific research, I became kind of disillusioned with academia. Um, So there's this saying in life sciences where research should go from like bench to bedside. So the idea is after you do some sort of experiment, um, the results of that experiment will be able to help somebody, you know, um, who's, you know, sick or something like that. But oftentimes what I found is a lot of the really cool research that's being done actually just kind of goes from bench to bookshelf. So you do the research and then it gets filed into some archives of a scientific journal. Um, And, you know, obviously that's not the case um, for for all scientific research in academia, but at least for the type that I was doing, I, I really felt, you know, kind of disillusioned with how slow stuff was going. I was really interested in science and technology still. So you know, the early stage deep tech investing world kind of stood out to me as like a natural next step for where I wanted to go. You know, feedback cycles were shorter and I was able to really get involved um, and learn stuff at a much uh, quicker rate. Um, And then a little bit more about Deep Ventures itself. So Deep Ventures is an early stage deep tech syndicate that operates on AngelList. And I know the word deep tech can often be sort of, you know, used in a bunch of different ways. Um, And so Sherman and I, so Sherman's my partner, Um, We kind of define deep tech as really where, you know, companies, um, to take a phrase from the Costle Ventures team, um, in which technical risk will outweigh market risk. And I know that doesn't really cover everything, but that's kind of generally how we think of it. And then we'll shape our definition depending on the type of company that we're evaluating. So we're a very founder-focused deep tech syndicate. Um, My partner, Sherman, um, is a deep tech founder himself. Um, And we really kind of started with no expectations. So I think Sherman really wanted to sort of formalize his angel investing process and support more founders. And both of us, I think, saw a gap in a niche to be carved out in deep tech on AngelList. Um, I don't really think there were a lot of syndicates that were primarily focused on deep tech. And so it was kind of a, a natural step for both of us to take. And it's been going super well ever since. That is very cool. And yes, I feel like you're right. Actually, I haven't seen many uh, syndicates on that topic on AngelList. So good good timing there. Nice work. So first question yeah. here is going to be about raising that money. So basically, the only the thing that you did, you just created a syndicate on AngelList. And that's it. How do you manage to raise so much? I mean, how do you manage to attract so many people into your syndicates while you're still being a college student? Yeah, so that's... 
So I guess if you if you told me in early 2020 um, um, about a deep tech syndicate, I wouldn't have believed you. Um, I, I I wouldn't have known what deep tech or a syndicate was um, either of those terms. <laughs> um, it was really just something that I I kind of got into kind of for what I was just um, for the reasons that I was just talking about. I was really just looking for an opportunity to get more involved with um, the deep tech world, and um, you know a lot of it I have to uh, credit. Uh, to support from my partner Sherman, you know, without him, I wouldn't have been able to do this. Um, it was his network and his inspiration that really got us started. Um, and I, I guess, like you know, to to answer your question about how we raise the money, um, it sounded pretty daunting, I guess, to begin with, to like go from not having a syndicate at all to you know doing you know two deals per month on a regular basis. But I guess how I thought about it was just like looking at exactly what was in front of us. So the first step was to get an initial network of LPs or limited partners that we could go to, you know, those would be the initial backers that would support our deals. And so how we did that was we would just cold message, you know, hundreds of people on AngelList and LinkedIn and share um, what we were doing. Um, and that, you know, was a really tedious process, but we were able to get an initial network going of maybe 100 to 200 or so LPs. Um, and step two was obviously get deal flow. So at the start, we very much leveraged um, Sherman's existing founder and investor network. And then I also just started plugging myself into as many startup communities as possible. Um, as a Stanford student, um, I definitely thought it was quite easy. Um, and I recognize that that isn't true for everybody, but um, there's just so much support at Stanford um, for the startup world. So it was relatively easy to just really get involved with the startup world when I actively you know, tried to. Um, and then, you know, I would just cold email founders working on stuff that I was interested in um, and hopefully get them to talk to me um, and as well as their friends and colleagues, too. So it was really just about focusing on, you know, the, the step in front of me and then hoping for the best. But like I mentioned earlier, I don't think either of us really had expectations for where it was going to go. We both just wanted to support deep tech founders um, and tried to find the best way to do that. Nice. That's really cool. And it seems like it's working so Good work. Good work, man. Uh, so next question is about, you know, standard VC path is either, you know, being a CS student and then uh, going into the venture and then starting their own fund or starting their company, then having some sort of exit or at least some kind of success and then starting the fund. So you went straight from college. I mean, you're still in, in university and you still started uh, your syndicate. So how how do you feel like skipping that step uh, affected you? So did LPs have questions like, you know, you're still in college or was it completely fine with them? Yeah, so I guess one thing is I, I never really will like obviously advertise my age um, and it's definitely come up sometimes. But, you know, I think it's really just about kind of starting and I, I never really thought too much about what was the right path. Um, I think venture is so interesting because everyone's path is so different. So, you know, some people are career investors and they started right out of college and worked their way up at a variety of firms. Um, some, like you said, are successful founders turned investors um, and some have an even less typical path. Like, for example, Harry Stebbings, um, super inspiring journey from podcaster to investor. Um, and I, I, I find him particularly um, inspiring because, you know, he's also quite young. Um, so for me, I, I recognize that I'm young. So one thing I make a really active effort to do is to surround myself with people who know a lot more than me. And believe me, there's a lot of those people. Um, you know, I'll talk to some of our LPs who know more about me, um, uh, more than me about certain spaces. Um, I also, you know, I really love talking to investors who've been in the industry longer than me as well. Um, and then I think, you know, it's just about being transparent about who I am. 
I, I don't hide from the fact that I'm a student. I might emphasize though that I'm, I'm, I'm really curious and I will always take you know, a lot of time to understand the interest, industries that I'm investing in, primarily because I just think they're really interesting. Um, and I also think that you know, the curiosity aspect that I think is a common characteristic that drives a lot of successful mm -hmm. investors is that it's, um, you know, you know, it's quite easy for me right now because I'm at the point in my life where learning and being curious are what I'm technically quote unquote supposed to do. So that, that's been really cool. True, true. That's that's the best part about VC world or just like general investing in startup world. Sometimes you do your work and then you're like, wait, that's actually my work. I thought, you know, it's just relaxing stuff. Yeah, um, no, exactly. But... I, I think I think it's really cool um, to to have this sort of job where it really is just about talking to a bunch of people and learning new things. Yeah. Um, and if you were to tell me that that would have been a possible career when I was younger, um, I wouldn't have believed you because it just, I mean, it's its definitely been really, really amazing. Hey, just to clarify, most of our listeners are founders of startups. So just to clarify for you, those people, it's actually the job is not that easy as it may sound. It's just a lot of it is good. So <laughs> it's not yeah, all exactly. perfect, right? Just keep that no, in no. mind. I, I mean, there's, there's no perfect job, of course. Absolutely. Uh, I not. think it's, it's just about finding the thing that, that you most enjoy. Right. That's very accurate. So uh, one thing that you mentioned that kind of caught my eye is, you know, surrounding yourself with smart people. That's the thing I've been trying to do for a while and it's been working. I mean, I'm running this podcast, like 99.99% of my speakers are smarter than me. So I think I've done a good job there, but not everyone has a great podcast like me. So uh, for you personally, what kind of communities would you recommend people to join? Uh, do you have any particular recommendations, maybe some particular Slack groups or you know, places to search for those smart people? Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say, you know, I, I think it depends on your age. Um, so if you're younger, um, no matter what university you go to, there's probably some sort of network of people who are interested in like early stage businesses and startups. I think that network is really interesting because like you have people who are kind of at the same stage in your career as you. And so you really get to kind of go through this shared experience of like learning about venture and just the startup world in general. Um, and I think you mentioned the Slack communities. There's been a bunch that have popped up recently. Um, I'll just mention a couple that I'm a part of that I found um, quite valuable so far. Um, so there's one called Altum, um, which is a, a deep tech focused community. And there's been a lot of founders and investors there. Um, and it was just started a few weeks ago um, by one of my colleagues who um, just started uh, a deep tech fund himself. And there's been a lot of you know cool stuff happening in that group. Um, another one that I think a lot of listeners of this podcast might have heard of if they're you know younger is the Gen Z VC group um, that I think started sometime around November or December, but it really blew up and now has like thousands of people, um, not just people from Gen Z, but you know people who are in general interested in startups and venture. Um, I think you know those groups are a really really interesting way to meet people, especially because you know everybody who's in those groups has already kind of made it known that they're very interested in meeting other people. So if you like cold DM somebody who's in one of these groups, it's very likely that they'll respond, um, and you know you'll be able to have a conversation with them. Um, and the last thing I'll say about that is um, just like cold, you know, emailing or messaging people who are doing stuff that you're interested in. Obviously, you know, not everybody's going to respond. Um, but, you know, I think enough people will. And that's how it kind of started for me, too. Um, I would, you know, see people that I thought were doing really interesting things and I would just message them. 
Um, I found like Twitter usually works better than LinkedIn, for example, because it's more personal and I, you know, not a lot of people don't check their LinkedIn messages, but really whatever way you can get in contact with somebody, um, I think is valuable. And the worst that can happen is they say, no, sorry, you know, I don't have the time. Um, and, you know, it's still really interesting because, you know, every once in a while, somebody will say um, that they're interested in talking and, you know, maybe share an opportunity with you. So, I, you know, I think the, the biggest thing is just putting yourself out there. Um, and I know sometimes it can be pretty uncomfortable, but um, once you kind of get past, you know, the, the cold, you know, messaging side of things, um, it can be really, really valuable. 100% and the thing that you said about you know those startup communities or communities of like-minded people that's 100% accurate I don't think it ever happened to me that I've actually called DM person on one of those slide groups and they did not respond so basically the response rate is they're 100% even yeah, if they exactly. do not know the person so it's just great but cold outreach works as well I mean I got in touch with Ryan I'm like 99% sure I got through a message on LinkedIn, right, Ryan? Yeah, um, uh, yeah, that's right exactly <laughs> And yeah, I mean, sometimes people say like, hey man, sorry, I, I'm just too booked or I'm not doing podcasts and that's fine, that's fine, you know? That's the worst that can happen. Okay, not the worst, but pretty <laughs> much the worst. So here, yeah, now yeah. let's go into the deep tech discussion. Um, so first of all, can you, you, you already mentioned a little bit about, you know, how you describe uh, deep tech, but I have an extremely poor memory. So could you repeat that and tell us a little bit more about, you know, what kind of stuff you invest in? Sure thing. So I, I kind of said that I, I really think of deep tech like pretty broadly. Um, it generally happens to, you know, be the type of stuff that Sherman and I are interested in. Um, but if I were to put a definition to it, or at least, you know, a broad kind of category, it would be, um, and I think I heard this from um, somebody on the Casa Ventures team in podcast or an interview, um, um, it's companies where technical risk outweighs market risk. Um, and so it's really just stuff where, you know, the primary focus is the technology itself. Um, and like I, like I said, that can really mean a lot of different things depending on who it is you're talking to. But that's pretty much been like a really nice umbrella to cover all of the different, you know, industries that we've been investing in, like biotech or alternative protein um, or aerospace um, or, or crypto. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, that was the phrase I was looking for. Technical risk outweighs the market risk. I love that phrase. I love how it sounds. So um, can you give us a few examples of those companies, you know, where it's just like heavily technological and it's actually working well or, you know, it looks cool or it sounded maybe like a couple of years ago, it sounded like something unrealistic, but right now it's becoming reality. Yeah, no, uh, definitely. I mean, there there are so many examples of, of deep tech companies nowadays, um, especially, you know, if you look on Twitter, like, you know, um, one, I think, big one that a lot of people heard of recently is Varda. Um, space, which is working on um, in space manufacturing, um, they just raised a monster round from from Founders Fund and Lux Capital, um, and you know there's there's been stuff happening in alternative protein. Um, we're investors in, in t um, a couple alternative protein companies like um, Kuliana, which is working on um, plant based seafood, and also New Age Meats, which is working on um, cultivated or or cell based meat. Um, and, you know, there's there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening. Like I said, the the I think deep tech as a like, quote unquote, investment space is so broad. Um, it really just depends on how you kind of look at it. Um, it's you know, it's not going to be stuff like consumer social, but there's a lot of stuff that I think you can kind of fit in. And it really just depends on what your thesis is um, and what you're interested in investing in. 
Right. So let's talk specifics here. Uh, what about the most interesting idea that you've seen in deep tech that seems like, you know, you're looking at it and you're like, okay, that's just a great, great tech, great solution, very impressive uh, R&D process, and they've actually done it. Yeah, that's that's a really, really interesting question. Um, uh, you know, it, it's pretty difficult because, like, you know, there's, there's so many companies working on interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. I guess if I had to answer that, like, in terms of a general vertical, um, it would be a lot of the stuff that's happening in, in space. Um, and I think it's also kind of, kind of because of my personal interest in it. So if there's, I guess if there's anything that keeps me up at night, it would be thinking about space. Um, the idea that there are entirely different worlds out there, you know, with potentially types of life that we couldn't even conceive and just the sheer scale of it all is, is so profound to me. Um, and it's really cool now that I'm able to be alive at a time when there's so many interesting innovations happening in space. The clear glaring example is SpaceX and what they've done um, by drastically reducing the cost of, of launch, which is such a critical factor in making space more accessible to industries like manufacturing um, and, you know, um, and communications. Um, the other thing I would say is, you know, that's all cool, but we also have to take care of our world first. So, you know, and, and by that, I mean stuff related to the climate. And so a lot of really interesting ideas that I've seen um, in the climate space, like I mentioned, have been an alternative protein. Um, you know, I think now it's kind of become, you know, part of the popular discourse talking about, you know, cell-based meat, but it's really just a few years ago, um, you know, starting with, with companies like Memphis Meats and Mosa Meat, where these ideas were coming into the mainstream. Um, but the idea that you could, you know, literally grow your meat, um, you know, that's such an interesting idea to me. And it's such a clever solution to what is a massive problem. Um, I, I just recently wrote about the alternative protein industry um, for a, a newsletter that we run for Deep Ventures. And um, I think one statistic that shocks a lot of people is that um, if you take the cumulative amount of emissions that animal agriculture um, causes, um, it's higher than all of transportation. So that includes you know, driving, flying, trains, boats, everything. Animal agriculture um, accounts for more. And so I think when you, when you realize those statistics, you realize how important something like you know, cell-based cultivated meat is. 100%. That's very true. And yes, I've been hearing more and more stories about this particular vertical in the past year. So I'm pretty sure it's going to be a big thing very soon. Um, so how about ideas that sound absolutely insane? Uh, I've heard multiple stories of uh, people getting pages like, you know, teleportation. Uh, one was, uh, I think, Teleportation is the most common one, but do you have any, do you have, have you had any pitches that sounded like absolutely insane? Um, not really yet. Um, uh, I haven't been pitched on teleportation, but that sounds pretty interesting. I would definitely have some <laughs> questions there. Um, I guess I can kind of, that kind of, I guess, is a good segue into, I guess, me talking about maybe some of the factors that I look at when evaluating a startup. 100%, um, and yeah. what you just said um, related to one of the ways that I kind of look at look at this space. So I think one thing that I that I've realized is that, you know, I'm never really gonna be able to understand a very niche problem space as well as a founder. You know, this founder has been working on this for years. Potentially it's been part of their PhD thesis. Um, and for me to say that, you know, I know this space as well as you would just be insane because, you know, I'm, you know, I've maybe evaluated the space for a few months, but you know, I I, I would never claim that I'm an expert in it. Um, but you know, 
and and you know stuff is gonna stuff in deep tech is always gonna sound inherently cool like teleportation sounds really cool yeah. but how we think about it is you know how feasible is it so how i kind of walk through that is i i try to use first principles to piece together what chain of technological innovation has to happen to bring whatever early stage deep tech idea somebody is pitching me on from idea to reality so i try to you know, paint a mental map. Okay, so this is where this company is right now. You know, they have some sort of prototype um, or they have, you know, a product that's not exactly there, but is going to get there. And then I try to have the founder walk me through, okay, so what exactly is it going to take to get from what you have now to, you know, a commercially viable idea? And as they walk through that process, I'll try to really think about, you know, any steps along the, um, that process that confuse me or seem particularly challenging um, and get an understanding of how the founder views those steps. Um, I think it's because like, as long as something doesn't sound crazy, like you said, where there's just no scientific basis or path from, you know, prototype to commercially viable, commercially viable business, oftentimes there's, you know, it's just a, a spectrum of how feasible a solution is going to be and what level of risk um, is going to be involved at each step of the process. But it's really, like I said, it kind of goes back to me just being curious and wanting to learn. Um, and, and asking questions and um, seeing, you know, what, you know, founders have to say about the questions that I have and then evaluating um, using, you know, judgment um, to decide, you know, whether it's a level of risk that we're comfortable with, um, whether we believe that they're going to be able to work through those challenging steps. Um, and I really think that's, that's it. You know, I'm still learning. Um, and, you know, I don't know, maybe if you ask me this question a year from now, I'll maybe have a different sort of process, but that's just kind of how I've been thinking about it, at least for the past year. Mm -hmm. So we covered how you evaluate ideas, uh, technologies, how about startup founders? So for, for me personally, when we're considering a company for investment, we're basically considering the team for investment. That's just like 80% yeah. of the process we're looking through like LinkedIn, some social media, doing some questionnaires with them, et cetera, et cetera. What about deep tech? Is it like, how important is the founding team? How much time do you spend on actually understanding who the founders are? Yeah, I mean, I mean, so much, like you said, like for early stage investing, the team is really everything. Um, you know, most companies, um, early stage companies fail because of either conflicts between co-founders or other people related problems. And that isn't really surprising because, you know, no matter how good an idea is, um, uh, it, you know, the team that executes it will make or break whatever that idea is. Um, and particularly, you know, in deep tech, I'm, I'm particularly interested in understanding the team because I have to believe um, for really bold ideas that a team has technical sophistication to accomplish whatever problem um, exists at hand. And so, um, you know, I, if the other thing is along those lines, um, it's really nice when a founder is really able to articulate the, uh, the problem that they're working on. Um, because if I know that a founder can articulate the problem well, then I know they, you know, they understand the problem really well too. And if they can explain the problem and solution really well to a general audience, then they can also do that with other investors. Um, and particularly, you know, with the nature of deep tech, you know, with large amounts of capital required for R&D, mm -hmm. um, it's really important you know, to consider a startup's ability to, to raise additional capital. Um, because, you know, frankly, as a syndicate, we're never going to be the biggest check in a round unless all precede um, round. And so we have to evaluate whether we think that other investors are going to listen to this and think, you know, wow, this is really cool and, and we want to put in money too. So when uh, a founder is able to articulate the problem really well, it kind of fits those two birds with one stone.
Mm-hmm. Right. That's very accurate. And especially, you know, the part where you're trying to understand if the founder is actually able to raise the follow on capital. That is very important in pretty much every single vertical where you start your company. By the way, you mentioned, you know, early stage. And I realized I forgot to ask you what stages do you like to invest in and what's the average check size for your syndicate? Yeah. So we will typically invest at the early stage, um, like I mentioned. So this is usually pre seed um, to seed. Um, we've also looked at some Series A deals, and um, you know, every once in a while, if something really compelling late stage shows up, um, I don't think that either Sherman and I would, um, you know, not take a look, particularly for some of those really interesting secondaries that are out there. But I guess right now, what we typically invest in is, is pre-seed to Series A. Um, I would say probably closer to seed, um, simply because deep tech is already hard enough to raise capital for, and because of the nature of a syndicate. Um, you know, if it's a pre-seed deal um, for deep tech where it's, you know, it's, it's really just an idea, um, it could be quite hard to raise capital for. And that's one of the considerations that we have to have um, as syndicate leads rather than as fund managers. Um, and along those lines, our average check size um, really ranges. Um, we've done deals for, you know, 100,000 and everything up to 350,000. Um, it, you know, often will, it's, it, it's, it depends on a combination of factors. So one, how much allocation a founder is willing to give us, you know, if the round is particularly competitive, you know, it might be harder to, you know, want to syndicate something like 300 or 400,000. Um, and then also two, you know, how much interest there is from the syndicate. And oftentimes it's, it's very difficult to know that until you actually, you know, publish a deal and see how many, you know, investors are interested. Um, so that's always something that we make very clear to the founders that we work with is that oftentimes we don't really know how much capital we're going to be able to raise, you know, whether it's 100, 200 or 300 grand. Um, but it's just a matter of us putting it out there and then, you know, just keeping them updated on, on how it's going. Mm-hmm. Right. That's very accurate. And I like that description. Perfect. So um, now we're moving on to the last question for this episode, which is a call to action. So Ryan, what is the one thing that you want to listen to do as soon as the episode is over? Sure. Well, um, you know, uh, since I'm a, a deep tech investor, if you're if you're building something in deep tech or you also invest in it, you know, it doesn't have to be your primary vertical, but just something that you're interested in. Um, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, I'm at Ryan Lee 28 on Twitter. That's R-Y-A-N-L-I um, 28. And, um, you know, uh, I'd love to hear about whatever it is you're working on or investing in. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, one of my favorite things um, about this is that I just get to talk to people all day about stuff that both of us are interested in. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess the other thing is if you're um, an accredited investor and you're interested in investing in some deep tech, um, you know, feel free to check out our syndicate. Um, if you look us up on AngelList, um, um, we're Deep Ventures. You'll definitely be able to find us and just maybe come see what we're about. Um, feel free to DM me um, if you have any questions. Um, but we, you know, we're always looking to expand the circle um, of investors that are looking at our deals. Because ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, this is like a team sport. Um, you know, it's really cool to be able to work with as many people as possible. Because ultimately, I think all investors and founders just want to see really cool ideas being funded um, and well executed, so that we can, you know, hopefully make a better future um, using whatever technology we have. Mm -hmm. Right. That's very altruistic here approach <laughs> uh and i do like it so my call to action is going to be definitely check out ryan's twitter i'll make sure to leave a link to it i'll also leave a link to the deep tech ventures and also i'll leave two links to what ryan mentioned earlier which is going to be one the podcaster to investor guy i already forgot his name because i have a horrible name memory and the second part is going to be um 
uh, Ryan sharing the communities that he's a part of. That's that part is going to be for deep tech founders. But still, if you are a tech, deep tech founder, I highly, highly recommend you checking out the description of this episode. And as usually, have a good day. That applies to everyone, not just deep tech people.